Hey, welcome back. It's another episode of the Chris and Jesse show. I'm your co-host, Jess. And I'm Chrissy. And we are having on today the show Spike Cohen. He was elected over the weekend by the Libertarian Party as the vice presidential candidate. So this is a show by millennials, for millennials, boomers, the silent generation, Gen Z, little bitty babies, and anybody who is going to watch this show. Um, so Chrissy, last week we were with Spike when he was just a candidate. And we were interviewing John McAfee. Um, so I, every time you say John McAfee's name, I just start laughing again. Yeah. So that was pure cringe, but I loved it and I was there for it. And we had Spike with us and um, John McAfee kept calling Spike Mr. Blue Shirt. <laughs> it's funny because I don't think McAfee knew that Spike was actually his opponent. So he um, just kept calling him Blue Shirt. And uh, so we have asked Spike to come on and wear a blue shirt. So Spike is now joining us. Hey, Spike. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. Good. Hi, my constituents. Yes. I'm not even calling you our vice presidential nominee. I'm just going to call you Vice President Spike. Just Vice President Spike? Yes. That's what I am on Twitter. I'm, I'm at real Spike Cohen, but my actual, like my name or whatever is Vice President Spike. Yes, Vice President Spike. Spike, That's the Vice President of the United States so, of America. How are you doing, everybody? Spike, we want to hear about your thoughts on the nomination, but first, we still can't get over John McAfee. Yeah. So that was a great episode. Can we just talk about how only like five days ago, we were like, oh, yeah, you know, let's talk to McAfee. Spike, yeah, Spike's probably going to win. And now we're sitting here with our vice presidential candidate, our vice president, blue shirt, Boyd, Spike. Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> Did he call me Boyd? He didn't call me Boyd that time, right? No. He called me Boyd the last. He, he called me the Boyd on on the debate that we were in. Yeah, he called me Boyd over and over, and said how great I was, and he did sang my praises. That yeah. this Boyd guy's really got it going. And I'm like, <laughs> it says Spike Cohen right under me. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting Boyd, but I appreciate the support, my friend. I, I don't even know if he even knew where he was or he had no idea who what he was, was talking to. No idea. But yeah. we're on the list. Yeah. You're on a list. Yeah, I don't know what list, but we're on it on McAfee's list. Um, so yeah, so you were wearing a blue shirt, blue shirt on the McAfee show, and you're wearing a blue shirt today. Um, we just want to say a blue shirt. We're really proud of you wearing a shirt. So all right, now that we've heard your reactions to our episode with John McAfee and yeah. John McAfee's advice on the things that he told us about, which are not safe for Karen's. Um, what are your reactions to getting nominated by the Libertarian Party's delegates as the vice presidential candidate? Well, I'm thrilled. I mean, this is what I was campaigning for. And I, I believe that, uh, you know, I, I've been I, the entire reason I got into this campaign was to be able to leverage it to spread the message of liberty to a public that usually hasn't heard of liberty or if they have, 
they have gotten a really bad take of it. You know, they just want to be selfish and keep all their own money and they want everyone to starve and, and you know, they don't care what happens to other people and they don't care how much your health care costs and, and all of that. And that's not true. We believe that you own yourself and your, your body and your life and your labor and your property and that we should be able to work together to build voluntary solutions that are much better uh, than the ones, the poorly centrally planned ones that the government imposes on us. And, uh, you know, especially what we're going through right now with this uh, pandemic that happened because the uh, government did not allow healthcare professionals to test and uh, and treat the, the virus at a time when it could have potentially been ca- contained. Uh, we now are dealing with this, you know, massive outbreak and the government, state governments have overcorrected by telling people they can't leave their houses. And if they do, they can only go to big box retail stores. You can't certainly can't go to small businesses, uh, but you can go to big box retail stores uh, and then you have to come straight back home and you can't go you know, to the park. And if you go out with people, you have to keep six feet away from them, even if you live with them and all these ridiculous arbitrary rules that don't actually help anything. I have I have mic feedback. It's actually Chrissy. Oh, Chrissy. Chrissy with the mic feedback. Anyway, so yeah, we, uh, you know, so no, I, I'm very happy about the uh, about the outcome. I would like to congratulate Joe Jorgensen for a very hard fought win. Uh, she did a great job and, uh, you know, got the got the win as a result of it. I would like to thank John Mons and Larry Sharp and Ken Armstrong and John McAfee and uh, Adam Kokesh at the end there and Zoltan Istvar and I'm sure other people that I'm not thinking of right now uh, for running honorable races and, you know, running alongside me in this race. And I am grateful to be the VP nominee. Well, we're so excited. Um, Chrissy and I are both millennial women and we're millennial libertarians. And so now we have a our first ever, you are the first millennial that is going to appear on a presidential ticket ever. Not just for the Libertarian Party, ever. Yeah, how does that feel? It feels like uh, Chrissy's mic is muted. Oh no, I unmuted her. So so it feels like that, but it also feels amazing uh, because I was so- (laughs) You're so good with technology. Can you hear me now? Yes. Do I sound like a boomer when I say that? Should I, mean, I should I go put on like a bathrobe and just go watch Murder She Wrote because clearly I'm not a millennial. Yes. Um. So, you know, I spent so much time trying to get Vermin Supreme nominated to be the presidential nominee that it never occurred to me that I was actually making history myself. So I am the first uh, professed anarchist that is going to be on a on a on a on a presidential ballot. Uh, I am the first millennial. Um, and yes, Jimmy, I probably do need to change my free cheesy bread to free avocado, uh, free avocado toast. Although I guess you, on cheesy bread, you could put, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how good that would taste, but you could put avocado uh, on there as well. Um, so no, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a really great thing. And, uh, I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to the youth of this country. And also, I didn't realize I was a millennial until about three years ago. Yeah, you're a millennial. Um, so speaking of reaching out to the youth, um, you have your own millennial, um, you know, your own millennial vibe, your the, your look, your messaging. Um, how do you feel that everyone only cares about your chest hair 
And why is it that they're so upset that sometimes you go to the beach? Yeah. So, I mean, listen, people get upset about the fact that my profile picture is of me at the beach without a shirt on. Because who would wear, who, who would not wear a, a shirt at the beach? What kind of scumbag takes a shirt off at the beach? And in fact, I've told people, I've said, you know, listen, for those who are understandably upset about the fact that about my profile picture, uh, that, that, you know, I do in, encourage you to join the newly formed libertarians must wear shirts to the beach. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's a growing caucus. It's fairly new. I'm told, uh, it turns out that they, they didn't realize that was something that even need to be said. They assumed that, you know, we all were going to just wear all of our clothes to the beach. Um, they're also upset about a somewhat famous photo that I use on my, my, uh, VP page, social media, where I'm, uh, you know, taking my shirt like this. Oh, this might make them upset. Uh, but they, you know, doing one of these. Uh, but what they don't realize was I was actually raising money uh, for the Libertarian Party of Georgia. So I'm in the Libertarian Party dad bod calendar, um, which is right here. I'm in the Libertarian Party dad bod calendar. Ooh. And uh, they're going to really hate this. Oh my God. If they see this, they belly button. They're gonna, yeah, you can actually even see my belly button there. Oh my so, god! Yeah, and I'm an innie too. It's scary, right? Oh my god! I'm a real I'm, libertarian. I'm just shocked. It's disgusting, right? Disgusting. And so, and so I was, I was, we were helping auction off signed libertarian dad bod calendars because we had so many of the people that were in it there. Me, Tom Arnold, Tyler Smith, Vermin Supreme, and Joshua Smith were there. So we all signed these these calendars and we were auctioning them off. And we raised hundreds of dollars for the LP uh, of Georgia. And in, in doing that, we started like doing this like fake strip tease where we unbutton and whatever. Vermin took most of his clothes off, but I just buttoned down a little bit, unbuttoned a little bit, and you know, took some silly photos. And everyone's, you know, how dare you? Um, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Okay. Well, <laughs> I know <laughs> Brandon's great. He's funny. Um, so speaking of your, um, trust hair, I saw someone called you a scrawny white man, which is kind of racist. Um, I actually looked back at your pictures cause I was curious. You used to not be scrawny. You were a little chunky. Oh, are we doing oppo research on me now? Is that the case? <laughs> I just wanted to see if all of your pictures were as shocking as the yeah. one I well, they were shocking in that I was really fat. So I, I, so I was once about a hundred pounds overweight. And after I was diagnosed with MS, and I said, you know, and they said we're going to put you on a treatment and everything. I'm like, okay, well, is there anything I can be doing health wise to try? And they're like, you could lose a few pounds. And I'm like, well, thank you. And so, in doing research about diet for MS, I found a a very restrictive uh, autoimmune diet that I'm on to this day. And, uh, and so the side effect of that, besides me having stable MS, uh, and not, and, and not having any kind of exacerbations or anything like that is that I have also lost, uh, close to hundred pounds on it. So yeah, no, I, I, uh, for, I've, I've kept it off for three, four years now, something like that. And, so someone, uh, what you're saying is, is someone calling you a white scrawny man is not only racist, but ableist. Yes. <laughs> I'll play that card. How dare and and anti-Semitic. And anti-Semitic. I actually saw an article today where they talked about, oh my gosh, Spike goes by not his first name. 
he he he's not going by his baptismal his name. Baptismal name. His baptismal name. And the funny, will you tell us the funny part about that, Spike? Of the baptismal name? Yeah, that you're Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> My baptismal name of Jeremy Cohen. <laughs> um, the old we, Cohen baptism. Can we all just realize that Jeremy is the worst name that you could have besides Kyle? <laughs> Thank you. So this is what happened. I'm like, I hate this name. And so at the age of, and this is apparently now a scandal in the making. At the age of three, I went to see the original My Little Pony movie. And the character Spike the Purple Dragon spoke to me on a visceral level. And so when we left the theater, again, I'm three. They said, Jeremy, something, whatever. And I said, Jeremy's dead now. I'm Spike. And my parents shared a nervous chuckle and figured that this was just the thing. And then a few days later, when I was still insisting that I was Spike, they took me to a doctor <laughs> who talked to me and then said to them, he seems okay. He just wants to be called Spike. This is a phase. Just call him Spike. And so now I'm going to be 38 this year. <laughs> uh, and it's stuck. It, the name has stuck for going on 35 years. I think it's cool. I actually think that when you're campaigning, I'm going to give you some unsolicited armchair politics advice okay. from my basement. I'm actually in my basement, so perfect libertarian. Um, I think you should just go by Spike. Fuck Cohen. <laughs> just go by Spike. Just go by Spike? Like share? Yeah, just Spike. Just Spike. Just Spike. Spike, I used to live in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I worked on my county affiliate with a gentleman named Matt Wright. And the oh, first dear. time I had ever heard of you was in your podcast with Matt Wright, um, Bula. And so I, this was the first time I had ever heard your name. Um, since this was the first introduction that I had to you, how did you get into the Liberty Movement before you and Matt Wright were on a podcast together? So I actually used to be a neocon. And, uh, you know, I was very much into, I was, you know, keeping the, the timeline in uh, when I was, 9-11 happened when I was not quite 19 yet. Or no, I just, I was already 19. And so, uh, and so I bought into the whole, the terrorists hate us for our freedoms and we have to go spread the message of, we have to go spread freedom, American freedom and markets and prosperity and democracy to the, the Middle East so that they'll stop hating our freedom by learning to love their own freedom. And like I, I bought into the whole thing. And, and I was very I remember when I first saw Rand Paul or Ron Paul talking about blowback or whatever. I'm like, this is stupid. He just wants the Muslims to take over America. And what a what a terrible person. And so, but over time, after watching how that played out, and also as a, I started a small business, I started a web design company in uh, 1999 at the, uh, right before my 17th birthday. And so as that business grew, and I started seeing what happens when you grow a successful business, what government does to you and to your workers, and then realizing that's what they do to everyone else as well, I started moving away from being a neocon to being more of a kind of conservative constitutionalist to being kind of a minarchist to being a radical minarchist and then eventually to being what I am now an anarchist. And uh, so that was kind of a, a, a progression that happened. And once I really reached that point, 
and I, I reached I, I, I reached a point where I said, you know what? Uh, I'm at a point now where I can sell this company and I can go and focus my life on my true passion, which is spreading the message of liberty. And uh, I saw that a lot of people weren't spreading the message outside of libertarian circles. And so I saw a, uh, an opportunity to do that. And so that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing. And now I'm the VP nominee. It's really Where did you go to college. I, I didn't go to college. Okay. Cause like everyone I know that call, calls themselves a neocon, they went to like Hillsdale or like American university or something. No, I did get the Hillsdale flyers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I just love, I, I just still can't get over the fact that you are, uh, you know, so young and it's like kind of cool for the first time in my life that someone that I'm voting for isn't fucking agent. And like, I, you know how people want to have a beer with their presidential candidate or vice presidential candidate. Right. I would love if you weren't sober to have a toke with my vice presidential candidate because I like, that's just so cool. It's just so cool. So like speaking of that kind of stuff, um, well, I don't know if it's really that kind of stuff. Uh, so what is your plan to reach out to the left? And let me give you an example here in Ohio. Uh, we have to get 3% for ballot access. Our green can't, our green party uh, didn't make it. So they're not going to be on the ballot. We can get those votes. We could get the disenfranchised Bernie's. What can you do to reach out to the left? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, the thing is that, uh, you know, we've been doing that with the Vermin Spike campaign. We've been reaching out to the left, to the disaffected left. And this is actually a perfect uh, election cycle to do so, because here they've been completely disenfranchised by the fact that, you know, this is a generation, most of the left, especially in, in with the youth, there are two generations, younger millennials and older Gen Z. Uh, people that have been completely left behind by the system that their parents and grandparents told them would make things great for them. They were told that if you work hard, if you go to college, uh, you know, and if you you know work your way through, you'll be able to you know hit the ground running and and have a great career and everything else. Well, that was true when the income level was here and the cost of living was here, but now the income level's here. And the cost of living is through the roof. It's, it's, you know, it's not comparable. So for example, when someone in their twenties is being told by their, you know, boomer grandparents that, well, you know, I was able to work my way through college and I had it almost completely paid off by the time I was done. And I had a house bought within five years and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, because cars and houses cost a 10th or even less than what they cost now. And your salary wasn't much less than what I'm getting paid. Uh, and also there were a lot more job opportunities and, and the, and the problem is there's a disconnect and these kids are being told because we talk about they're of the left. The left is the only one speaking to them because they're being told that this system, this entirely centrally planned, arbitrarily created system, uh, of bad government, uh, is a, is they're, they're told that it's free market capitalism. They're being told that by both Republicans and Democrats. So they're hearing across the political or the political spectrum that they're told about, that this is free market capitalism. It's not, but that's what they're being told. So then when say a Bernie Sanders or a Liz Warren comes around and says, we're going to completely reform capitalism and, and make it work for you. And we're going to tax the people that have to give to you who have not. And, you know, this system has failed you and we're going to give you your health care and pay for your education or, or, um, you know, forgive your student debts and all these things. What happens is that now 
when someone says, well, you can't do that, that'll destroy capitalism. And they go, good, fuck capitalism. They don't like capitalism. They don't like what they've been told this system is because they don't like the system. Well, we're libertarians. We don't like the system either. So what a perfect opportunity for us to talk to them about, to empathize with them, because that's what's important with any group, the left, the right, anyone. You reach them where they are, you empathize with them. You demonstrate that you actually care, that you're a trustworthy and caring and empathetic individual. You listen to their concerns. You demonstrate that you've heard what they have to say. And then you present your solutions. And our solutions are actual solutions. We don't have to try to spin it. We can actually explain how you know, violations of their self-ownership in the form of, of, of bad central planning have led to these terrible things. The, the the ridiculous increases in the cost of healthcare and of education and the the lack of availability of good jobs and these types of things all of these things are the direct result of bad government planning by both republicans and democrats what an excellent opportunity for us to 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 step in and and present our entire present our entire platform and and to force the republicans to defend what they've done I love that answer so much because as many times as I've I've asked that of you know any of the candidates uh, <clears throat> during this last cycle, the only people that had the answer was you and Vermin because I have a lot of experience reaching out yeah. to the left, and yeah. I'm telling you, like they don't want to hear about how socialism sucks and how no. you know no. all that matters property rights. They want to hear that you give a fuck about what they care about. So I love you for that. No, it's absolutely true. And the thing is, like, we talk about, we say the left and we talk about them like, you know, they want to put everyone in gulags and they're, you know, philosophically driven leftists. They're not. That's just the only group that's talking to them. It's it's similar to how we'll say, you know, there are libertarians that will say, you know, it's a waste of time to go into housing projects and speak to, you know, poor people and, and, and people of color and marginalized communities because they vote Democrat. Well, that's because the Democrats are the only ones even bothering to engage with them at all. And they're barely doing so. So when I've done, you know, knocking uh, door knocking tours and housing projects, they were so happy uh, to, um, to, you know, to, to, that we were actually there engaging them. Uh, and, and that when we were talking to them, that we actually got what their problems were and, and with, and with people, uh, you know, people in the housing projects, their biggest things were the war on drugs and occupational licensing. Almost everyone in those communities had side hustles, right? So they were actually engaging in agorism and didn't even realize it. They had these illegal side hustles because they couldn't afford the thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars it cost, uh, for them to actually legally operate their business. And these were things like handymen and people cutting grass and people, uh, mowing lawns, right? Mowing lawns and cutting grass are the same thing. <laughs> but some cut grass, some mowed lawns. It was a wide variety of jobs that were being done. Uh, some did landscaping. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and so uh, but some did plumbing work, some did electrical work. They did all these different things. They did hair braiding, makeup, a lot of food service. So, you know, people making like catering and stuff like that. But they didn't have licenses because they couldn't afford it. And so they just did it anyway. And they had this mesh protection network. As soon as we came into the neighborhood, people started looking out the windows and all of a sudden people started walking out and they're all on their phones because they're calling each other to say that there are a bunch of white people walking around and they're clearly not Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, we weren't nearly well-kempt enough to be Mormon. And so, uh, and so we, you know, we were going around and doing this and they talked to us about how when they see the police, they're not happy. They don't feel safe. When they have incidents where unsafe things happen, murder, shootings, things like that, and they call the police, it takes the police forever to show up if they ever do. 
But then the police are just randomly going around harassing people that are mowing lawns and and cutting grass. And, you know, about, you know, you know, do you have a license? And and it's like, well, you know, so so they saw that we were listening to them and we signed up a bunch of people to the Libertarian Party and we got a bunch of people to sign ballot access and we changed the conversation in those communities. All you have to do is empathize with people. Doesn't matter who they are. Most I love people, how Jess just made herself really big. So she could show off how she looks. <laughs> so I would like to know, have you seen the video of the lady that was shouting at a man at a park in New York City? And the ramble, yes. was choking her dog. And I'm, so I hear you're familiar with that video. Um, I was absolutely horrified when I saw it. First, because I had the volume off and I saw this lady choking a dog. Choking her dog and not even knowing what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then when I listened to the audio, I was like, oh my God, this lady's being so racist right now. I'm interested in, first of all, your take on this video. And then I would also like to know how you and Joe Jorgensen, if you were in the White House, would make America less racist. So here's the thing. So uh, less racist from an institutional level, we can absolutely do. And, and we can certainly use the bully pulpit to speak out against, you know, bigotry and racism. We certainly can't make people not be racist, but we can certainly, we can make racism less powerful because we all, you know, the, one thing I like to say, without institutional power, racists are just dicks. But if you give them institutional power, now they can harm countless people, which is what we see right now. We see the disproportionate harm being done to communities of color, to marginalized communities, gender and sexual minorities, religious minorities, ethnic minorities, the poor, immigrants, uh, but especially people of color, especially black people. We see what's going on. And, and this has been going on for quite some time. Um, it, it is almost ingrained in our history, so much so that we almost have kind of gotten used to it. It's sort of like a, you know, just a, a matter of fact thing. So for those who haven't seen this, this story, uh, basically what happened um, is that there, and there were two things that happened that were both horrific. One is this story where a, a man who apparently is a bird watcher, uh, was at a park called the ramble in New York city. And he saw that a woman was, uh, uh, uh walking her dog without a leash and the dog was, I guess, running around. And so he took a, a video of it and she starts screaming at him. Stop harassing me. Stop harassing me. Don't take video of me. And he's like, put your dog on a leash. She picks her dog up by like it's collar and it's like if you watch the video the dog almost died and uh and and she's screaming at him she's like don't leave me alone and she says i'm gonna call the police and say an african-american man is threatening me and so he says fine go ahead i have you on video it's obvious he's holding up a phone so she calls the police and goes help an african-american man is threatening me and my dog and the dog's still being choked this was the uh, this was peak karen Right. So this was peak. This was malignant racist Karen stage four racist Karen. Right. So this is malignant terminal Karenism that we saw. Uh, and uh, and it was absolutely horrific. Again, that woman is only a jerk if there isn't a police department that isn't all but willing to show up. And, and now, thankfully, they showed up. He had video. They but you know what didn't happen? She didn't get in any trouble. I read an article about it that was published just a couple hours ago. The man is a member of the Audubon Society, and yep. he serves on the local board. Yep. And he was just out bird watching. He and apparently, watching. Like, if you live in New York City, there's not a lot of places to go bird watching. So Central Park, it is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. 
he was just bird watching and his reason for asking the lady to put her dog on the leash is it was the rule in the park, but also they plant plantings there specifically to attract birds that like to hang out on the on the ground. And when dogs are off, oh. around, it makes all of these plants die and they, they actually spend money to for bird watching. I didn't even know this was, I didn't know. I assumed it was just, I assumed it was just, he didn't want the dog running around with him. I, I didn't know that it was that there was an actual purpose with the bird. Well, that, yeah. and that makes it even worse, but regardless, and he wasn't even calling the police. He was just saying, Hey, put your dog back on a leash. And yeah. he got up. Thank, thank God for him. He got out his video camera. He thought he was just taking video of some lady that was refusing to put her dog on a leash. Turns out he found some racist chick that was going to have him freaking killed by the police or, you know, arrested by the police or whatever. And to, 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 to summarize why it is dangerous, why threatening to call the police for no good reason on black people is potentially a threat of death. We have another story that just came out uh, in, I believe, Minneapolis, where a man by the name of... And this is a breaking story today because I've barely even heard anything about George, it, right? Yeah, George Foley. And there was a video, and I will not even encourage you to look for it because it is a gruesome gruesome video even describing it is gruesome but I, i'll describe it to you because it's late it's a late night show so i think everyone here can take this but they i'm not sure what he was arrested for but he already had his hands behind his back and a a, a minnesota a minneapolis cop was literally just kneeling on his neck with all of the force of his body. And just to show that there had nothing, this had nothing to do with, you know, protecting themselves or whatever, cop had his hands in his pockets, was kept looking over at the people that were yelling at him to, to get off the guy's neck. The guy was no threat. He had his hand, hands behind his back. He was cuffed. And the guy's sitting there saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Get off my neck. I can't breathe. Okay. And the people are shouting, get off of him. Get off of him. You're choking him. You're choking him. And you can watch in this video as this guy suffocates to death. It is the most gruesome. It is one of the most gruesome things because even though it's not, there's not blood and guts everywhere. You're watching someone being casually choked to death in front of a crowd of people who are shouting at the cop to stop. And when they got close to him to try to like, try to get him to stop, he pulls out his mace and his partner pulls out his taser and tells him to get back. They murdered him. They straight up murdered this guy. And, uh, and what I don't was care. he doing that the police intervened? Don't, don't even know and don't care because there was nothing that he could have possibly have been doing that would have warranted choking him to death after mm -hmm. he, because they were essentially punishing him. So I don't know if it was, I don't know what it was. I have no idea what it was. What I know is that it was not punishable by death uh, and uh, a suffocation death. I can only imagine how horrific that is. And especially, you know, your hands are behind your back. You can't fight back. It's just brutal. And now there's riots going on in Minnesota. And you know what? I will never encourage anyone to riot. You know, often you riot, you're just harming small businesses. You're harming innocent people that had nothing to do with it. But I understand why people who watch the police casually murder someone. And then, you know, the worst thing that happens to them is they get put on desk duty uh, is just it's it's gruesome. We talk about the milita militarization of the police, but what we're not talking about is the fact that not only are the police being militarized, meaning that we're, they're getting this like armored personnel carriers and grenade launchers and all this stuff that they really don't need because they're just trying to pawn off all this army surplus. And so they're giving it to the military. 
there is a change in mentality and it's always been there to some extent, but there's an ever increasing mentality. And I won't even call it a militarization of the police mentality because the military, when they fight overseas, have a much stricter code of conduct with how they can face, you know, enemy combatants over there than police do here in, in interacting with us. They have far more license to harm us here uh, and, and, and go over and above the license that they supposedly have here than the military, than the military do fighting overseas. And it's so I wouldn't even call it a militarization. It is a, I don't even know a word for it, but the institutional mentality of the police and even the way they talk about we're, we're on the front lines. No, you're not. You're in our neighborhoods. We live here. You're treating us like the enemy that you get to assume is threatening you. And, and, and again, and if you're a person of color, a gender or sexual minority, an ethnic or religious minority, a poor person or a homeless person or a, a, an immigrant, you're exponentially more likely to face harm than a white person. But all of us are being harmed to some degree or another. And this just has to end. I feel like I was, right now, I was, during I, coronavirus, the, the news on our like global news right now, I'm not necessarily hearing anything that's happening in other countries at this time. Yeah. I have no idea what's happening, but here in America and police brutality, it is definitely, it seems like it's a daily occurrence right now. It's, it's getting ridiculous. And here's the thing. So I remember uh, when Justin Amash was interviewed on CNN, MSNBC, I forget which one. And they asked him about the protesters that were in Lansing, Michigan, I think. Uh, they were at the Capitol and they were protesting the lockdowns. And uh, and they were a lot of them were armed. They were open carrying. Some of them were open carrying rifles and so forth. And they asked Justin Moss, are you going to denounce the, uh, the protesters for showing up to the Capitol with guns and intimidating legislators? And he said, yes. He said a little bit more, but he said, yes. Now he did say to his credit, he said, you know, but you know, the, the lockdowns are going too far and they're expressing, you know, their frustration, but you know, I do denounce uh, carrying weapons and intimidating people. Here was the correct answer to that. The protesters harmed no one. They showed up, they were armed, and then they went home. No one was hurt. No one was shot. No one was killed. No one was beaten. Nothing happened to anyone. This dispels the whole notion that citizens just carrying guns in and of itself is some dangerous thing. It clearly is not. If we want to have a conversation, this is what I would have said to the reporter. If you want to have a conversation about, uh, um, about you know, gr large groups of people walking around with weapons with the explicit and express purpose of intimidating everyone, let's talk about the police state. Let's talk about uh, Tamir Rice. Let's talk about John Crawford. Uh, let's talk about Gary uh, George Foley. Let's talk about uh, uh, Amud Arbery, who was killed by a retired cop who still thought he could act that way. Let's talk about uh, 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 Lavoy Finicum. Let's talk about Ruby Ridge. Let's talk about Waco. Let's talk about the people, large numbers of people with guns who really run roughshod whenever they want the very second that you uh, that you fall out of line. And this isn't about individual police officers. We hate the police. And if you're a cop, you're a jerk or anything like that. It is about the institution that says that if you are in charge of enforcing law, we are going to allow you to harm people more than anyone else could get away with doing. And because you're kind of in charge of policing yourselves, you're also going to get away with more than what you're even allowed to do even past that. And we've seen so many cases of people who are killing people on video 
and get away with it because a uh, the uh, the uh, police unions and the and the and the prosecutors who are you know completely enmeshed with the police department they are part of the same complex will defend them and b there's a lot of the public that will just knee jerk defend them well what were they doing uh, and, and well, well what happened before the video started. And you know why would they why would they do that? And that's what we in the in the Libertarian Party call the cult of the omnipotent state. This this idea in the minds of so many people that the government simply is this great monolithic force that simply cannot be questioned at any time, and that the only problem that we have with it is we don't we sometimes don't have the right people in charge of it. But the institution itself is good. The institution itself is not good. The institution itself is an institution of harm and inequitable outcomes and abuse. That's what I love hearing because that's why I needed a millennial like you, that exact kind of statement. No, this is another history making moment. We've never, ever, ever had a presidential or vice presidential candidate that is running for the highest office, you know, in this country. Say those words and understand that this is a problem and that this is not it's not just a, a, a one off. It's an institutional problem. And the way you explain it, you don't explain it like, you know, uh, using three syllable words and using, you know, alliterations that nobody understands. You explain it just here. This is what it is. And, you know, so I just, again, really appreciate it. And as everyone that has watched a few episodes of our show knows, I was a full Vermin Spike supporter. And while I, you know, am obviously uh, upset that my top ticket candidate didn't win, I can't be more ecstatic to have you represent our party and for you to be the one to do this for us. Well, thank you. And I mean, as someone who refuses to pander to you or anyone else, I just want to say that, you know, I I think the Libertarian Party is in an amazing opportunity right now. Uh, We are living in a, a dystopia that has been expressly created by the Republicrats holding hands the entire time. And the reality is we have an opportunity to put them on the defensive by simply showing everyone what they did and by being that third option and not by pandering them and going, we're here to be a new voice for you and we're here to listen to you, but to actually listen to them and to actually hear what their problems are and to say, look, this is the result of bad central planning. And it's not just the Republicans or the Democrats. It's the very nature of the institution. And it allows us to talk about the concepts behind libertarianism, self-ownership. You own yourself, you own your life, you own your body, you own your labor, you own your property, and we will stand with you against anyone who tries to take from it. And anyone who tries to take from you is committing an act of aggression. And aggression isn't just wrong from a moral standpoint, an innate moral standpoint that it's wrong for you to hurt people and take their stuff, and it's wrong for you to hurt people and take their stuff, but it also doesn't work. If I can take from you at any time, if I can just simply take from you, I'm not going to be a good steward of what I have because I can just take from you and anyone else that I want to. So I'm not going to be a good steward of that. I'm going to be wasteful. I'm going to be inefficient. I'm going to make bad choices and it's going to lead to bad outcomes because I can take whatever I want. And you, if you know that I can simply take from you at any time, you're going to be a, a worse steward of your things because you know you could lose it at any time. Well, what's central planning but a mass system of people taking from everyone else? 
and forcing them to do things and telling them what to do. And now we can see with every single situation, police brutality, institutional racism, uh, the, the, the ballooning cost of healthcare, the ballooning cost of, of, uh, of, of, of higher education, uh, food insecurity issues, uh, growing income inequality, climate change, all of these things are direct results of the harm that is caused by the institutional system of kleptocracy, the constant system of this state taking from everyone as they see fit, ordering us around as they see fit, and not having to provide us any value. You know, it, you can get services from competing providers who will compete for your, 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 your business and will give you better outcomes as a result, or you can get your business from a monopoly, which already knows they have your business and doesn't have to give you outcomes, but good outcomes because they already have your business. Government is a violent monopoly that is financed by theft and enforced with threats of violence and actual violence. And so why would anyone expect good outcomes from that? I can't, I just can't. You like make my heart skip a beat. You stroke my liberty dick. <laughs> Spike Cohen, well just Spike, we're going with, so what? Yeah. Oh, you froze for a second. Yeah, you froze right at the best time. Okay. Go for it. Yay! You struck um, my okay, dick. So I have a question. <laughs> That's just what I, I might not have frozen. I was just that stunned. <laughs> um, so I have um, a very, very serious question. Um, do you have any kids? No. Will you be my dad? <laughs> sure. We asked McAfee said our that, dad. McAfee said that he would be just. An he said he would be an abusive dad. <laughs> he would choke us. <laughs> choke you. He said he would choke us to the last <laughs> inch of our life. Yeah, with, to within an inch of your life. And, and he said, and right before you said whatever it was you said, I don't even think he heard what you said. He said, right before that, I was going to ask both of you to marry me and you, blue oh, no. shirt. And That's you blue shirt, I, I was going to ask you to be my blood brother for life. But now I, I have to choke you all half the day. brother and opponent. Yeah. I asked him what drug was his favorite. And he said, are you stupid? Yeah, you I'll kill you. That question you ask, is it what's the best drug on sex? What's the best drug to see God? And then said he was going to choke us. And, and we learned talked, it was heroin. And then he, and then he described a very sultry makeout session with God. Um, <laughs> so weird. It was so weird. Right after saying he wanted to choke us to death. <laughs> so basically, what I'm saying is McAfee, um, as a vice presidential candidate, was um, Jess's dad, and you, as a vice presidential nominee, are now my dad. That's fair. I will have to We're looking for dads because we obviously need dads this feels like a daddy issue thing that we're that we're doing live on on the internet um so i will probably need to talk with my wife uh about you know adoption fostering stuff uh but i i think i think we can make this work i think we can make thank this you <laughs> so spike i would like to know who is your target demographic for your the voter base that you're looking to get capture their votes and what is the pitch that you intend on giving to these individuals so, I mean, you know, again, I think that we were going to primarily be reaching young voters. And this is where our ticket works very well, because Joe uh, probably is going to be speaking more to Gen X and, and, and Boomer voters, which makes sense. And she's been presenting. Interestingly enough, we are both promoting a, a very radical interpretation of the Libertarian Party platform. Uh, she's presenting it in, in her in her, you know, trademark way of doing so to groups that 
you know, would like to hear it more as a presentation of a, a return to normalcy and decency and, and practical common sense compromises uh, to try to, you know, benefit them and, and, and fix the problems that they see. And I'm speaking to uh, a couple generations of youth that have been completely left behind this by the system and want to see massive radical changes. And again, we're both presenting the same platform. We're just presenting it to different groups uh, and and using the nomenclature and the and the precepts of those groups, um, but not watering down our message, not presenting uh, timid half measures, but simply saying, um, you know, simply saying that you know this is you know we see that you've been left behind, uh, and we see that your that your problems are. Uh, caused as a direct result of bad central planning. And here is how that has happened. And here is why it has happened. And here are our solutions and why they will work. And I think it's going to be incredible. Another great thing is that because of this, uh, because of this situation with COVID-19 and the lockdowns, the Republicans and Democrats usually can present an air of inevitability. So they will get in front of a stadium and they'll have a bunch of AstroTurf people behind them. So they'll have you know, however many hundred people behind them to give this air of popularity and inevitability. Why would you not vote for Republican or Democrat? Look, look at all the people that are already with them. Why aren't you? Now we're all just a bunch of schmucks in front of our webcams. We're all equalized. I can't put a bunch of AstroTurf behind me. It's literally just me. Joe Biden is literally just Joe. Donald Trump is literally just Trump and a handful of, his, of people that are willing to come within six feet of him. Uh, by the way, let's talk about that for a second. Joe, Joe Biden, what, a, what an excellent, you know, everyone's been trying to keep away from Joe, at least six feet away from Joe Biden for many years. Imagine, <laughs> imagine the horror that Joe feels having to reciprocate now. <laughs> he probably doesn't even, he's probably not even able to smell anymore. Like it's just over. Like his sense of smell is just gone. He, has he, has like, he can't even smell. He has like smell, uh, smell, uh, uh, dysfunction. And so he grabs it like, no, I can still do it. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I totally, ah, <laughs> That's I'm so just waiting, um, to where, you know, Joe Jorgensen, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are on the stage and yes. Joe has to hide her pussy and her shoulder. <laughs> oh, I haven't thought of it that way before. I didn't, well, I, Trump's gonna grab her by the pussy, and Joe's gonna stand over her shoulder like a fucking creep, and Spike's gonna be sitting there with his nipples out. You know, well, what do you think that Donald Trump's gonna say about you? Because he called Justin Amash a total loser. What is he going to call you? Wait, recently he called him this. This was when Justin Amash came out against um, Donald uh, for impeachment. Oh, okay. I thought you meant after he decided not to uh, run for president. Uh, so, okay. I uh, what's he going to say about me? Uh, put a shirt on, probably. I don't know. I, I don't know what I don't know what he's going to say. Uh, <laughs> I might guess call you Jeremy. <laughs> oh, he's going to burn me hard. He's, he's going to call me. Him. He'll only call me Jeremy. Oh my God! Nobody give Trump that idea because Trump's a huge troll. I actually that would roast me. I love reading his tweets. He's entertaining. He calls people the weirdest things. Um, like and it I sticks because like no one else would say that. So like you know, creepy Joe Biden or or uh, uh, what's it called? A uh, uh, lion Ted Cruz. Oh my God! I'm so and excited. Hillary. Someone did it. Someone just didn't I tell you the goal of my show tonight was 
for not someone to say Spike is the reason we're not going to win, but someone to say Chrissy with Spike on the show. I'm 100% cool with, with blaming you if we don't win. Yes! I'm totally fine with that. Because I said vagina, nipples, pussy, all in one minute. Spike <laughs> is going to lose. So you're welcome, Libertarians. So for the last four years, anything bad thing that happens, not just in Libertarianism, but just in general, I say none of this would have happened if James Weeks hadn't stripped in Orlando in 2016. Now, when bad things happen, I will say if only Chrissy Wickers had not said vagina on her show. Oh, the funny thing is, this is really funny. Um, so and nipples. I gave a speech a couple years ago when I was running for office <laughs> and I actually, I said vagina and I, my, my state leadership was very mad. So I have a propensity of angering people with the word vagina. What, what was the context of this? Okay, I was at a hippie festival and I got up and I was, they said I was a libertarian and someone yelled, mind you, I had purple hair at the time. They yelled, they said, we fuck libertarians. They're just old white men. And I said, um, so it's weird because like I'm a female, I have purple hair and I'm definitely have a vagina. And I, I got cheers and they thought it was funny. And um, yeah, so that was, I gave a great speech. I actually had multiple people cheering at the end instead of booing. And I still got a call saying, nope, you shouldn't have said vagina. That seems perfectly in context. I mean, it's not like you got up and went, hey everyone, vagina, vagina, vagina. Like, I mean. I wasn't Amy Schumer. You were literally, thank God. I mean, you were literally, that's, I mean, that's anatomically correct. Like that's science. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to call it, you boomer? Am I supposed to call it my, like, my little twinkle spot? <laughs> so, Christy, even a question for Spike? I'm going to lose now because of this. <laughs> why? Okay, yeah. So, a lot of people were bitching and saying, like, oh, well, Spike is from South Carolina and oh, Joe Ferguson from South Carolina and the Constitution. Um, so, for everyone here... Uh, would you will you tell them that you're moving to Ohio? Yeah, sure. Let <laughs> me explain this whole thing with the Constitution, what the 12th Amendment says. If we win South Carolina, because the way the presidential election works is you don't win the national popular vote. You win each individual state, and that's the Electoral College. And every state has a number of Electoral College votes. South Carolina currently has nine of them. If we won South Carolina... The only way that we could have those ha both be elected, the elector is only allowed to pick uh, uh, one person from their state. So they can't elect both a president and vice president from the same state in South Carolina. Every other state can, just South Carolina cannot pick the one that's just in their state. And if we were in Texas, it would be the same thing if we were in Wyoming. Only the state that you reside in can't do that. So if we end up becoming, and I will make this pledge, I've made it many times, if we come within the nine within the nine electoral points of South Carolina of winning the presidential election, I pledge that I will move somewhere, not Ohio. I pledge that I will move somewhere, I spit Key West, um, and I will move there. Uh, Stephen Akela is going to put me up. Uh, we've talked about this. Uh, it, it, that I'm not moving to Ohio. I can't do it. Why would I, you choose Key West over the wonderful corn? And heroin that we have. They have <laughs> heroin. Point. Well, they, they have heroin in Key West. They, they heroin in Key West. But again, so if so if we come within that close, I pledge that I will move. And I literally have until the electors uh, do their, their official EC election. So I can even wait till the re election results 
on election day and say, okay, we're going to win, but we still need those nine points. So if anything, this is an incentive uh, for us to run up the Electoral College scoreboard so much that we can still win the election without needing South Carolina's points. So it's really it's a powerful incentive. Make Spike not have to move again, unless it's the Key West. <laughs> that should totally be your slogan. <laughs> yeah. Vote for us so that I don't have to move uh, too. But I said, I, I, I did pledge. I don't want, I don't need Joe to move. I will move. If we come within you know, that nine electoral points within that hair's breadth of, of being elected president and vice president, I will literally move from South Carolina. Look, I mean, you're already working for us. You're, you're a for the people man. I'm for the people. I'm here for the people. And by the way, this is not because someone said to me uh, in the comments, they said, uh, oh, just like some libertard to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to completely uh, violate our election rules as you see fit. Dick Cheney did this in 2000. Now, Dick Cheney is not nearly a, an example of what we should do. But there have been many politicians that came from the same state. And what they do is they just move if it looks like they're going to win, which he did. He moved a month before Election Day to Wyoming, which is where he was actually from. But he just moved back there. OK. And actually, he didn't even move. He just changed his residence to his vacation house. So, <laughs> so we need to have a vacation house. <laughs> yeah, we have to make Spike have a vacation house again. Hashtag. <laughs> So no, um, it's it, it's it's such a nothing burger. It won't matter unless again we win South Carolina and need those uh, uh those votes to to win the election. I will move. That's the only way it'll matter. So um, I know that Jess. Um, what were your thoughts on the election and who were you supporting quietly because Jess was staff and she was not allowed to say until we had a nominee. So I, um, working for the National Libertarian Party, I have to be impartial, but I do still have opinions. I am a person and I was very pleased to find Justin Amash joining the Libertarian Party, although I thought that his late entry, um, it kind of almost, it angered me because I would hoped that he would have, if he was going to run for president, started much earlier in the cycle. Right, so right, right. I was initially very angry the first night when Justin Amash um, entered into the race. And then I was pretty hyped about it the following day. And um, when he withdrew, I was, I was like in a car and I was reading the tweets. I was getting them because I, I subscribe. Uh, I get notifications every time he tweets. And I was reading them. I was like, no, 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 no. What's happening? And um, so after that time, I really didn't have a preference on the candidates. I was just doing my best to try to keep things um going in the national office since uh, coronavirus is a difficult time in politics for um, political parties. I get emails from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and I can see that they're pleading right now for revenue, and I primarily do fundraising work. And so I, was, um, I wasn't necessarily paying attention to every single candidate and everything that they're doing. And can you still hear me? Yeah. Yes. Are you oh, able to uh, still? Okay. Yeah. I'm just a little yeah. frozen. Um, yeah. So I'm frozen, but I'll just keep talking. Yeah, your audio so is fine. I didn't yeah. have an opinion. 
on a candidate. And then um, it was like the night before the convention started. And I looked at Vermin Supreme's pin tweet, which I'm going to be pulling up if the internet will work with me. And I saw that pin tweet and it spoke to me and it was exactly everything that I want in a candidate. Chrissy and I have something in common. We both love Marianne Williamson. Yes. And um, so I saw this pin tweet and this is so Marianne Williamson, like entirely. And it made me realize that I, I thought at that point, I was like, this is the person we need to be our presidential can candidate. Somebody that's telling people oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. they have dignity, that they are worthy of everything and that their life matters. And so I told Chrissy at that point, I was like, all right, I hope that Vermin wins. Oh, good. And he didn't. But oh, I'm really would. happy to have you. Yeah, so that's a great story about not me. Who did you support for VP? <laughs> Like, you know, I didn't even have any opinions. I had none. I wasn't following that closely because there's so much else going on. Um, but I'm I'm glad we have you now and I'm glad that we have a ticket and that we've moved on and that, you know, we're here and ready to go. I guess it's presidential season. Let's do it. I'm never coming on the show again. No, the, the, the important thing that, so that, that tweet that you, that pin tweet that you referenced, um, it doesn't show it on there, but it, where you see him smiling, he's actually holding a sticker and it says, roses are red. This sticker is blue. Never forget that Vermin Supreme loves you. Um, one of my favorite things about the Vermin Spike campaign is how, and just Vermin Supreme in general is how loving he is and how everything he wanted to do was based on love, a culture of love, a, a culture of spreading the idea of love and of, and of a campaign and policies based on love. And that was such a powerful thing. And it's why I'm grateful to announce that Vermin Supreme is going to continue to be campaigning with me. Uh, if you liked the Vermin Spike show uh, that we would do on different you know shows and podcasts and AMAs and stuff, we're still going to be doing all that, not to the same extent that we were before. Um, and uh, but we're still going to be doing that. Uh, Vermin and I are still going to be campaigning. The the uh, the uh, uh, Jorgensen team is very happy to to have us as part of it. Hey, did you decide who you like for vice president yet? Nope. Okay. And so uh, <laughs> that we uh, that we uh, you know are we're going to continue spreading that message of love. That liberty is about love. That self-ownership is about sharing an empathetic, loving message, a dynamic and engaging message of love and care for people. So I'm glad that you appreciated our presidential candidate doing that. It's too she bad. Also, you didn't see I can confirm we had very great conversations about you, Spike. She really, you know, um, just can, uh, and whenever she comes back from the internet void, I mean, I feel like she's Hornberger right now, not being able to use the internet. Um, so she can attest. I mean, I literally spent uh, months like, Jess, please don't think I'm crazy. Jess, please don't think I'm crazy. And it took up until the last little bit for her to be like, okay, maybe you're not crazy. And then it was like the night before. And she's like, okay, I want your people to win. And <laughs> I'm like, yes, can you go tell people that? And she's like, no, I can't tell people that because she takes her you know, um, she job. likes her job. 
Yeah. She, she's really good. She has a lot of integrity. Um, but I can tell you like everyone was talking her into everyone. And unfortunately she has to hear my voice all the time. So, um, and I know I was a huge vermin supporter, uh, but then you called me, I was already supporting you anyway, but then you called me and we, you talked to me for two and a half hours. Everyone hates talking to me for more than 20 minutes. You were talking to you. Well, that's, it was really fun. And I like, we had a good conversation. You weren't, you didn't pander one time. You didn't stroke my Liberty dick. Um, you, you just, you, you lightly, you lightly tickled my Liberty balls. And I really appreciated that. Um, uh, you are an absolutely fantastic candidate. I'm so excited. I'm excited for everyone to get to see you chest hair, nipples and all. Um, I think everybody's fucking stupid for thinking that your image matters when we have Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Yeah, our 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 president is a bright orange man who speaks at a low scream and gold plates everything and apparently is a sexual assaulter, as is his opponent, uh, Joe Biden, who's also a sexual assaulter, uh, who uh, is apparently going senile in front of us and also uh, has passed, helped pass and, and create uh, science uh, help create and sign and write some of the absolute worst legislation, including the crime bill and many of the drug bills and min- minimum sentencing laws and things that have resulted in an, a, a countless number of people being caged for victimless crimes uh, and which ones which we seek to undo, uh, both in removing those uh, rules from the books. Uh, and not enforcing them, and also in freeing all of the victims of those wars, the the victims of the war on drugs, the victims of the war on sex work, uh, and so forth, and and removing the, the the victims who have been jailed for engaging in commerce that government decided they shouldn't be allowed to do. Um, so no, we are very much uh, here to heal, and uh, and if and I'm speaking to a generation of people who want irreverence, they want someone who acknowledges that this system is a cynical mess. And I'm not going to strip down naked every single episode of every show or anything else. I understand there's a time and place, but what I'm also not going to do is try to not pretend that I'm a fun, quirky guy who also has some very serious opinions on things and who cares about you and who cares about your concerns and who wants to push for solutions that will fix those problems and stop the harm from happening in the future. Um, so that's who I am. And I, 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 I trust that a lot of the people that are getting, you know, uh, a concerned first impression of me uh, will learn to, to, to see what, you know, what it is I offer over time. We're also having some growing pains because uh, in the uh, ongoing relationship between pragmatics and, and radicals, pragmatists and radicals in the Libertarian Party, it has always been the radicals who have had to just kind of suck up the results and, and deal with it. And now... Both the radicals and the pragmatists are having to kind of suck up the results and deal with it. And so we're all learning together what that feels like when we haven't had to feel it before personally. And that's fine. That's fine. It's growing pains. It's a good thing. So really the main thing that I took from that is you said there's a time and place for you not to be naked, but apparently my show, our show is the place where you can. Are you saying that we're not serious I would never say that. Okay. Thank it's, you. it's actually the more serious the venue is, the more naked I get. <laughs> Yay. We're the most serious. 
Like, I want to go on the McLaughlin group and just be completely butt naked (laughs) and like spread out and be like, well, it's an excellent question. Let me answer that slowly. (laughs) Well, uh, Spike, thank you so much um, for coming on our show. Um, I I mean, I'm super honored that you chose us first. Woo, besides your own show, but that, you know, doesn't count. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, because this is my first non-Muddied Waters podcast interview. I've done some call-ins to like Drive Time Radio and some other stuff, but this is my first non-Muddied Waters podcast appearance since my yeah. my uh, p- selection by I'm, the people. I'm super excited. Like, I feel really honored. Um, I'm, I actually get to tell people that I was, that I'm like friends with the vice presidential candidate. I couldn't say that in 2016 because who the fuck wants to admit that they're friends with Weld? Uh, Can so- we talk about the massive improvement between Bill Weld and myself? I can't even believe people are complaining. It's like, look what we could have had. <laughs> like, it's just so exciting. I'm really excited. Um, I was really bummed one night. Uh, my son cried because it was lost. Um, and then the next day you win and I'm like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. so I feel like a winner. I feel like you're going to be a winner. Um, so uh, everyone that's watching, we're going to have a hangout in our Zoom after this. Um, Spike is probably really tired and wants to go to bed. But if he does show up, uh, maybe I'll hang out for a little bit. I'll hang out for a little bit, but I'll, I'll need to go because I am literally falling asleep. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we can all watch Spike fall asleep. So uh, everyone, our Zoom is our Zoom invite is on our page. So you can go ahead and head there and we can all have a conversation. All right. Thank you so much, Spikey. I'll see you in a minute. Bye. Bye, guys. Keep going. Keep going. Bye.